Well, good morning. Don't turn to Jude. I know you were there. You were thinking about it. Um, Psalm 22, please. Psalm 22. We are on a communion Sunday, and I like to stop on those days. I generally do, not every single time, but uh, I like to stop and reflect upon what it is that we are to remember. What we are to remember, as it says, I think it still says in the front of our table there, in remembrance of me. It does still? Okay. I know we had it cleaned up and everything. That wasn't polished off or anything. So I thank you for making that look so pretty. But that's our reminder uh, in remembrance of me. And that's why we participate in our communion service. And we will get to that after we spend a little time in Psalm 22 this morning. The first three verses, I gave you a title for this, The Beauty of Silence. And let's walk through it uh, together right now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Heavenly Father, help us today. We're looking into a chapter, uh, words even, that are so deep. And they have such emotion attached to them. And no doubt there is some element of what we read today that might be part of our own experience. In prayer that we have cried out to you and and it appears as if there are no answers. But these, too, are the words of our Savior from a cross many years ago. So help us to, as we grapple with it today, to walk through the passage and come away again, seeing how great you are. And we ask for your guidance to lead us down this path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may think that the start of this psalm, if your translation is like mine, most of them are, there is above verse number one, a caption, a little inscription. Um, some of you will have a phrase, something that looks like, I jealous Shahazar, Shahahar. And you say, well, what is that? Well, it's Hebrew, all right. In case you don't know it, that's understandable. Uh, it's a Hebrew expression. You might have the definition instead. Some people I know, like the King James Version, has uh, Ajelet Shahar, and then the New American Standard has Hashahar, and that's only putting the in front of it, okay? That's the only difference, is adding a the in front of the second word. But some translations don't say anything. And you would say, what's pastor coming from today? I don't have anything above there. Uh, and some translations actually just put the meaning of the word. Like if you're carrying an English Standard Version, ESV today, you see it says, the doe of the dawn. The doe of the dawn, or the hind of the morning. You might have a translation like that in that little thing. It's directed to the music instructor, the choir master, the teacher of the psalm, and it has a tune 
to the tune of the dough of the morning. Do you know that one, Paul? You don't know that song? It's a psalm of David. Are you surprised that it's a song? It's a song. And he put it to a tune, and apparently the people knew what the tune was. But I just want to note a couple of interesting things about it, because it does have significance to our study here this morning. The meaning of the phrase, the dough of the dawn, or the dough of the morning, or however you have it there. Uh, The deer, do you realize that the deer was in the list of the animals that can be eaten? Isn't that good to know? Because some of you are out there, you like to hunt. And you say, well, I, I don't mind that the ox was in there, the sheep was in there, the goat was in there. This is Deuteronomy 14. The deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex. Have you ever caught one of those? No? The, the antelope and the mountain sheep. Those items are on the list for the hunter. Challenges to track some of these. <laughs> They're hard to get to at times. Some challenges to even kill them. I'm not a hunter, but I don't mind enjoying what you guys hunt. Uh, Sometimes I enjoy some good venison. I remember our property in Indiana had a wooded area back behind our property, and we had a fence back there. Uh, Mostly it looked like a, a wire fence across the back. It was not uncommon for the deer to jump into our yard because, well, we had apple trees and we had berries there of all kinds. We had a garden, too. And uh, they particularly enjoyed things out of the garden. And so it was not uncommon to look out in the backyard and see deer uh, out helping themselves to our stuff. But I recall one day as I was approaching that, I think I was heading back to get the lawnmower or something. The shed was way in the back of the yard. And there was a small doe laying against the fence. And I walked up to it. And from what I could tell, it had been running at a high rate of speed when it hit that fence post. And it had broken its neck. And it was laying there, and there was nothing I could do about it. And and it was frustrating. It was sad to see. But the picture that I just presented before you is very useful when you come into this psalm. This doe that it's talking about, this, this hind or however you want to word it, it's out in the early morning hours. It's out in the morning. It suggests, by the tune perhaps, or certainly by the theme of the book, that it is being hunted right now. It's being pursued. It's being chased. In the early morning hours, it came out to find something to eat. It came out of its hiding, and the hunters were out. And as a result, the deer was startled and extremely distressed, and it was seeking shelter. Uh, Its life was threatened, and it's running as fast as it can across the fields. Very similar to Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, even so my soul pants for you, O God. That same picture, it's a thirsty deer who's hoping for the chance to get far enough away from the hunter that it could stop and get a drink of water. It's exhausted and seeking, 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 panting for something refreshing. Point number one, the the concept of this psalm is about a deer and perhaps one on the run. Point number two, David suggested it as the tune For this psalm. 
The tune matched the idea of a desperate deer in the hunting season. I don't know what that sounds like to sing. But I don't think it's mild. I don't think it's a soft little pretty thing. You know, the Maranatha singers used to sing those real beautiful songs. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's anything quite like that. I think it's not even like an Irish jig, very animated kind of a thing. I think it's more like a rapid pace, a frantic style, maybe a tune that has the flavor of hopelessness, like I'm never going to get out of this alive. That's not the comfortable tune, is it, for us? We don't think, boy, that's good study music. Or let's put that on in the background. It, it leaves us unsettled type of tune. And that's the one David wanted as he wrote these things, apparently, is that he wanted this, this background to it, this song, this music that says, something is not right here, and I'm desperate for help. The third point I want to make just simply in this is that it was written by David. And if you go into the life of David, you'll find that uh, he had a lot of experiences like this, didn't he? We don't know which one, because he didn't say the wording in the wording what time of distress it was. He spent some near ten years running for his life from King Saul and the entire Israeli army. And sometimes it was this close that they almost got David. He'd be on one side of a bush and they were on the other, it seemed. But David knew what it was like to be on the run. And then later on, it was his own son, Absalom, who was hunting him down. David had that kind of a life that he was on the run quite a bit with the experiences. And I could almost picture him writing this from that experience. The anguish, the, the hopelessness, I'm about to get caught and what am I going to do? I, I think all in all is a very powerful emotional thing that David is saying here. The, the feeling perhaps of one who is innocent, who's yet incredibly strained, and suffering, and seeking relief, and losing hope, and yet at the same time trusting God. Isn't that an interesting world to live in? It's very much true, isn't it? We go through things like this. We struggle with things that just shake us all the way to the core, and yet at the same time we're saying in our tears, but I trust you, God. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know the next step. I don't know where to run and hide. What do I do? But I trust you. You ever been there? A lot of us have. A lot of us have. The commentators are challenged by the fact that when David is writing this, this part, this psalm, it doesn't appear to be his story. They're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This can't be David because... When did he ever have all his bones put out of joint? When was his hands and feet pierced? When did he ever shout out, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Guess where we take that to? We take it to the cross. Because this is a messianic psalm too. It speaks of what Jesus experienced. And certainly David wasn't an innocent man either. So there's elements of that we say, Well, no, that can't be. Some people say... No, he was writing it on behalf of Israel. Did Israel have a few close calls? Many times, and they were challenged to the core. Some people said, nope, it was like Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah had days like that. Some people said it was like Jeremiah. And what was he known as? The weeping prophet, right? 
So some people say their lives just as well. And many of the expressions David has in here has no connection with his life as far as what we have read. And you know what? To be honest, I'm good with that. I'm good with the fact that he didn't put a time and a date that matched this psalm. Because we would anchor it to that time and that date. And we wouldn't see how it personally comes to us today. Because we wouldn't put ourselves in here in the same emotions as David does. But when God had him write it, he left it somewhat anonymous in the nature of when it happened and, and, and all those factors. Because he uses human beings. To record his word. He uses emotions to record his word. And even when they, we have no idea how they attach to things or pieces or stuff, it's, it's easy to step into this picture, isn't it? And say, I get it. I, I know that emotion. I know what you're speaking of. Uh, 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 just a picture of a deer being chased by hunters. He could have picked David for that. He could have put James on that job. He could have put Peter or John on that job, but David knew hunting. <laughs> David knew what it was to be the hunter, and David knew what it was to be hunted. So, who better to write this out? Let's, let's let it be what it is. Let's understand this little inscription here. It, it wasn't just at the expense of filling message time with you this morning. It was to set the table for the words you're about to read. The words we're about to study. If you picture that emotion, that experience behind these words, look again at verse 1, 2, and 3. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. Let's just stop right there. We talked about verse number one previously. Last time we had a communion service, we talked about one, verse one. It appeared that the issues addressed the quotation of Jesus there on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We talked that through, and I think it signifies a time in the work of Christ when the Father and the Son could not do something with him that normally they would have. When Jesus went to the cross, he went alone. When he bore that cross, he bore it himself. When he bore our sins, he carried them. It was the cup that the Father did not take away, right? Think about it. Together, Father, Son, and Spirit created the world. I could show that in Scripture. Together, they sit on the throne. Together, they sustain and orchestrate all things. But alone, Jesus died on a cross. And it's alarming, it's amazing, it's beyond my comprehension. Jesus is the one who took our sins, right? It was Jesus who did that. God left him to do it himself. And the deeper I try to think it, the, the more it's hard for my brain to do it. But we saw those words last time. The rest of verse number one and the first, all the way up to verse number three here, that first part, has, has some degree with that correspondence with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at these words. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Groaning 
Groaning? Do you ever groan? <laughs> you know, guess what? As you get older, guess what? <laughs> it's part of the picture, folks. The groaning comes. But here's what the picture is in his words. Here I am, groaning. Way over there is my deliverance. Way over there. I'm groaning here. Lord, it needs to come this way. Deliverance, I need it here. But it's over there. And it's as if he's looking way across this huge gap and saying, it's far. I need rescued now. And it's so far away. So far away. Sometimes we get frustrated when we need to see a doctor and they tell us, well, we could see you next month. He said, no, I need it now. There's a frustration that arises sometimes. The concern is what? It's too late. It's not going to reach me on time. I, I'm in trouble. Time is of the essence. And what a challenging thing it is to stand on this side and see your help, but it's way over there. Say, Lord, I, bring it closer to me. This is what I need right now. And what that's interesting is that we've got a close-up on our troubles. <laughs> we see the troubles. We see how big the troubles are. They're all around us. And we tend to think that we know the answer. That answer is sometimes what we devise. Have you ever noticed that? We say, Lord, this is the answer. This is what I want to do. And I want to do it right now. Right? So we say, this is our solution, and we know what deliverance looks like, and we know when it should come, and we know how to solve this problem, and this hope is slow to come, and so we groan. We say, oh, Lord, my, my heart. You know, Proverbs 13 says that when hope is deferred, the heart is made sick. That's a very interesting phrase. It said in Job, Job knew something about trouble. He said in Job 14:19, "Water wears away stones, its torrent washes away the dust of the earth, so you destroy man's hope." Job said that? Here's another one. Job 17:15, "Where now is my hope?" As he's there scratching his boils on an ash heap. In Job 19.10, he breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And he has uprooted my hope like a tree. This doesn't sound very positive, does it? You might have thought some of those same things too. Those might have been your own words at times. Listen to the psalmist though, in response. Psalm 38.15, for I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer O oh Lord my God. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. He says in Psalm 42, 11. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43.5, in case you think I'm just repeating myself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why do they keep repeating the same thing? 
Isn't it true that once it's true, but twice it's to reinforce something? I know your parents, many of you are. How many times did you have to say it twice? And why is that? Because your kids have such great memories? Or is it because we tend to forget that God says, I'm going to say it again. Are you ready? Listen. Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. There's a good one for you. That's a refrigerator psalm. You know what that is? You put it on a piece of paper and stick it right there on the refrigerator so you see it. Psalm 62, 5. I, the point of all this is rarely do we come to the conclusion that God is not able. You don't think that, do you? We sometimes might think, but rarely do we conclude that God is unwilling to help or heed our cry. Even our theme for this year, you've seen it at the top of your bulletin every single week, God is able. And has that changed? No. Headlines haven't changed that, has it? It's still true. And even though we might see a huge gap between our problem and what we perceive as the solution, we still believe God can and will do something about it. We can believe that. Now, when I think of these things, I think of my Savior on the cross. And it brings me an added understanding of what he endured for this, our sake, for your sake, and for my sake. The mission of the cross is simple. A cross is designed to kill. Right? They don't say, let's crucify him and just give him a bad day. Alright? They crucify him to kill them. It's meant to do that. Remember what the crowd was like? as Jesus was up on that cross, they were merciless. I read to you from Matthew 27, just a, a small paragraph here, from 39 to 44. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, so let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified him were also hurling insults with the same words. He was being bombarded with this whole point. Does God even heal you? Does God even care? If you really mean something to him, why doesn't God rescue you right now? And folks, that is heard all the way through our land still yet today. When somebody in the Christian faith is struggling and there's no answer in sight and the deliverance is far away and the world thinks they know what deliverance is. And they say, well, what kind of God do you have? He's not hearing you. He's not helping you. He must not love you. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And he said it in first, the Hebrew, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
It's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Some who were standing there when they heard it, they said, this man's calling for Elijah. So one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest of them said, let's see if Elijah comes and helps him. You see, Jesus in his deity knew that the cross would bring him death, didn't he? Mm -hmm. It was part of the plan from the very beginning that Jesus would die. It was the only way to bring redemption and forgiveness to people like you and me. The only way was for Jesus to die. And, but Jesus was human, too. And in his humanity, he knew a level of grief and groaning that they saw. They, they looked at it no other way. There's no deliverance coming. There's no, he's not going to come down from the cross. Nobody's going to rescue him. Do you think Jesus cannot understand your groaning? Do you think that maybe he, he sees your despair and he says, well, I, I can't do anything better for you than that. I can't help you now. You know what the writer of Hebrews said about that? Hebrews 4, you might have it memorized, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet as we are, yet without sin. So let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Look at the words again in Psalm 22. Look at the second line. Oh my God! I cry by day and you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. It's difficult to get the answer no to prayer, isn't it? That's a hard thing. Heaven at times appears to be bronze, we would say, like a shield, and every prayer bounces off of it and comes back to us empty. There's an anguish in the word. I cried by day. I cried by night. There's anguish in the words. But you didn't answer. I have no rest. Far too often, we are in the heart of the worst storm of our life and we see the delay or even what appears to be forsaking of our Lord and we conclude that maybe He didn't hear. He does not answer. We're like that deer that's running seeking a place to lay down, and the hunter doesn't quit. He stays right on his heels, and, and we, we seek out the Lord to solve our problem, to remove our distress, and to give us rest. And we're somewhat like those disciples in the boat, remember? When they woke up the Savior, and they said, Don't you care that we die? You know the rest of the story. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was wouldn't you have loved to have been in that boat that moment and not ten minutes before? To say, wow, there's suddenly there's peace here. You know, that's what we ask for more times than not when we're in the midst of a problem. We say, Lord, right now, right now, stop the wind, stop the waves, make it smooth. And he doesn't answer. You say, what is wrong here? The disciple, he did it for them. What can he do it for me? Folks, I cannot answer for God. I don't even try to. I, I cannot justify Him before you. But I do know this. His plan is perfect. 
Every single time it's perfect. And his plan is not necessarily the same as my plan. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. His timing is different than mine. Have you ever experienced that? His ways are higher than mine. I'm just told, trust him. I'm told to trust him. And yet I appeal to him to solve my problems. What if I get no response? There's a lot of things we have yet to learn. But folks, remember, class isn't over yet. I like to think that the final bell has not rung yet. The Lord is not stressed out because our burden is still our burden. Did you hear that? He's not stressed out about that. He's not right now working through a plan to see how he might give you a better option for your particular problem than what you have right now. He already knows what you need before you ask it. That you will find in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to tell you where because I want you to go look for it. He already knows what you need before you ask it. He's already designed the way of escape. He hasn't told you yet what it is. He hasn't answered your prayer. And maybe he never will. Does that bother you? Are you okay to trust him anyway? These could be the very words of Jesus from the cross. We only have record of him saying the first line, My God, my God, why, has, why have you forsaken me? But the deliverance wasn't coming on that cross, was it? He could have cried all day long and all night long, but that wasn't what he wanted to do. Here's what Spurgeon said, just in a comment. For our prayers to appear to be unheard is no new trial. Jesus felt it before us. And it is observable that he still held fast his believing hold on God and cried still, My God. On the other hand, his faith did not render him less forceful. For amid the hurry and horror of the dismal day, he ceased not his cry. Even as in Gethsemane, he had agonized all through that gloomy night. Our Lord continued to pray, even though no comfortable answer came. And in this, he sets us an example of obedience to his very words. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. No daylight is too glaring, no midnight too dark to pray, and no Delay or apparent denial, however grievous, should tempt us to forbear our forceful pleading. I think those are good words. When Jesus shouts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer was silence. Do you see that in those verses? It was silence. We think that silence is nothing. Actually, silence is something. For you who know music, even a rest is part of the music. Isn't it? What appears to be nothing gives definition to that which is around it. That's what makes the music so beautiful, is that there's appropriate pauses and stops. Or else it all just runs together like a bunch of chaotic notes. 
but the rest break apart the phrases and the stanzas and the, and the expressions. So when there's silence, there's actually a border around sound. If all that makes sense, let me add something to this. We think that silence from heaven is a problem when it could be the very part that makes everything else beautiful. He didn't answer Jesus. Why? Because Jesus needed to die. What if he had taken him down from that cross? Would you have been saved? No. Would we have anything to speak of with redemption? No. Here's where it stands. In our humanity, we want answers. In our hope, we wait. In our walk, we trust. And yet in our hearts, we cry. And we cry day and night, and we cry, and it appears as if God does not hear. But He does hear, and His answer is silence for a reason. He's silent because it's part of the whole masterpiece He's creating. It's part of the whole picture of what God did. He didn't jump into every single prayer request and answer them immediately. And I think that's good. I think it would be detrimental to our faith if he did it that way. I know we want it. (laughs) I know we want every prayer request answered immediately. But he says, no, I want to build your faith. And here's the added part to it. When we have time to stop and wait and listen... In the silence. Guess where our thoughts need to go? The Father didn't take away the cup from Jesus to drink. The Father didn't send a legion of angels to defend Christ from the religious guards who arrested Him. The Father did not take away the nails. The Father did not... Take off the sin. The Father did not take away the suffering. The Father did not keep His Son from dying. Because silence in those things has brought me salvation. It may take a lifetime to understand the value of silence, but it always comes to the same place. Look at the beginning of verse 3. In that silence, there is one thing that just shines forth. Because in the silence, we're waiting. There's time to reflect. And what does it say? What's it say in that verse? Yet you are holy. Holy. That's what that pause gives you an opportunity to reflect upon. Yet you are holy. You're set apart. Yet you're set apart from sin. So guess what? The silence is not sin. Yes, you're set apart from confusion. And the silence isn't a frantic thirst for answers that God doesn't have. The silence sets up apart from worry. So the silence isn't reflective of some un- unplanned event that God is suddenly surprised you have. Set apart means that he doesn't have our conclusions on the issue. His silence isn't a fear that man doesn't understand. He understands you don't understand. 
Alright? He's good with that. Are you? God is big enough to bear the whys of our groaning and big enough to be silent in His holiness. Because He knows the end. You see, He's not frustrated. He's not stunned. He's not trying to figure out some other solution. He's in His holiness operating. And when we get into the why, 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 Lord, and my trouble, and my help, everything's so separate from each other, and you're not answering, and what's that all mean? He says, be still, and know that I am God. Be still. The silence has beauty. It has beauty. When we come before our communion service, we remember the death of Christ. We go into Psalm 23 and we see what He suffered on our behalf. We try on His sandals and we try to think in our very little fragment of what we can view. What it must have been for Him to have a God who didn't answer the cry of His heart. And rather than allowing the silence to be a barrier to your trust in God, consider it a blessing, folks. A blessing. For when things are silent, it brings us to be still and know that He is God. He is God. And maybe in that silence we can, we can begin to hear the very thing that revolves around His throne constantly. You know what those angels say? Isaiah told us that. He says, he saw the Lord on a throne, lofted and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and there were seraphims who stood above him, each of them having six wings. They covered their face with two, they covered their feet with two, they flew with two, and they cried out to one another, and it seems like it was constant. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. The temple was filling with smoke. This silence, if we're silent, we might hear it. He is holy. He is holy. There are many things that will come to our mind when we pass this bread and when we pass this drink. Sometimes, as you bring your life with you this morning, your experiences and all you've been through, you might be here today a little puzzled by things. You might be sitting here and you're struggling with things. You might feel regrets. You might feel shame. You might feel suffering of one kind or another. You might have thought that God has never answered your prayers, or at least lately He hasn't. And you've been struggling with that. I ask you to do one thing, according to the psalm. Take the silence and look to see who he is. Take advantage of the silence and look again. Even his holiness was seen on a cross. Aren't you glad he was quiet when Jesus called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wow, Lord, you're so good. You're so incredible. This display of communion before you today is a picture of his love for you, isn't it? My favorite verse I've told you before is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates, and by the way, that's in the present tense. You know what that means? That means it's not just at the cross. 
But constantly, 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 God is demonstrating His own love for you. And that while you were, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This cross that we talked about is just as powerful today as it was 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Because it changed our lives, didn't it? And maybe today there's somebody in this room who's never received Christ as Savior. Jesus died for you. Jesus endured incredible things that we can't even fathom the depth of it for you. He followed through with God's plan and died so that you might be forgiven of your sins. And if you've never received Christ as Savior, today might be that day. And it doesn't matter if you're young, if you're older. This is the day. This is the day. If you've never received Christ as Savior, there's an appeal right before you right now. We're going to take together some bread, and we're going to take a drink, and we're going to remember that Jesus died for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Remember, when he told his disciples about that, he said these two words, for you. Is that true of you today? If it's so, when I pass this plate your way, or one of the elders pass this plate your way, and you take it, remember, it was for me. And I've received that. It was for me that he died. It was for me that he shed his blood. It was for me so that I might have a relationship with God the Father. Isn't that precious to your soul? I want everybody in this room to know Christ as Savior. And if today's the day, then do it. Turn to Him. Believe Him by faith. Because He went through all this for you. For you. If you have never received Christ as Savior, please just let the plates pass by you. It's not for you. You never took it. You never received Christ as Savior. Just let it pass by. But think about that reason why. Why must it pass by you today when you could have received it all along? Why did you ignore Christ when he stands before you right now and says, I died for you. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? I make that appeal to you one more time because today's a good day for it, isn't it? We've got a great Savior, folks. He's my Savior. Is he yours? I hope that's true of everyone in this room.